welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective is a unique wellness-centered community created in and inspired by India, the birthplace of holistic health disciplines. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a vast range of topics, including shutdown and self-isolation strategies, integrated diet and fitness, yogic science, modern mental health, and holistic lifestyle, all to inspire you with relatable tools to help you consciously customize, support, and expand your life. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Samiksha Shetty. We are discussing disordered eating, in particular binge eating disorder, body dysmorphia, and also unrealistic body and beauty standards within the yoga community. Hi, and welcome to the Hadassah Collective, Samiksha. So happy to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's been a tough year, like for everyone, but I'm happy to be here too. It's my first podcast. Amazing. We're so excited to be your first, first of many, I'm sure. So why don't you just give our listeners a brief overview of who you are, what you do, and how you got started on this path? My name is Samiksha Shetty. Just to say that again, I'm from born, brought up in Bombay, uh, in a normal middle class family, grew up in a normal middle class family. I think my mom put me into yoga when I was around 10 years old because I was a very um, kid who had a lot of energy. (laughs) So to just contain me and like calm me down. Uh, And I actually liked it because I was decently flexible at that time Mm -hmm. as a kid because you're still more open as a kid. Yeah. So I liked showing off. So I think that's how I got into yoga. But I never really thought that would be a career option say like ever like never ever it was just like gym time or let's show off time it never meant at that moment anything holistic yeah or anything to do with what I feel right now about yoga yeah so basically that's how I got into it because of my mom (laughs) your mom got you into to try and calm you down I think that's amazing I wish I wish more parents would do that before putting their kids on medication and things like that. That would be so good. Um, But describe your early life. So you grew up in Bombay. um, And um, what did that time in your life look like? And how did, apart from just your mom bringing you to yoga, um, how did that sort of lead into this path? Uh, So when, while growing up, I was... um a broadbone girl, always been a broadbone girl, and if you've seen Indians generally, they're very petite, they're small, they're not tall, as at least the major general population is, you know, a little tinier. So I've always, I think, grown up feeling um, a little big, not fat, but big. Yeah. You know? Uh, So I think I always had that in the back of my mind and also growing up in a family my mom was gorgeous is gorgeous (laughs) so I would always be like oh my god why because uh, she would come to school and they would be like oh is that your sister and I know for a fact they generally meant it and it wasn't just a saying because (laughs) I knew what I'm seeing so I think a lot of that plays on a kid's head also Um, also having growing up uh, I stayed in a very, um, in Andheri East, uh, mm-hmm. in a small colony, uh, not where I am right now, not where I'm blessed to be right now. Uh, 
in a smaller house with many more people we didn't live in a single unit we had other family staying with us also mm-hmm. so um i think i was uh, a bit neg- neglected while growing up because of family issues happening also when i was growing up i went through sexual abuse i don't want to go into how when how because it'll take away from the progress of the story um but i think this with uh being insecure by myself also yeah yeah just added a lot so the yoga unknowingly actually helped me though at that time i didn't know yeah. i was just like fooling around with the practice you didn't have that awareness at that time but like all of that maybe being getting lost in like such a big family and so many things going on the kids can kind of sometimes get brushed over and then when something traumatic happens to you and you don't like necessarily maybe get the attention that you need or maybe you couldn't even get that um maybe it wasn't even possible at that time and it, it all adds to that so that's amazing that you kind of had that outlet god bless your mom um yeah. you know yoga yeah so I'm also a lawyer yeah so yeah. uh they did not say god bless you. my mom because they were like oh my god you're leaving law for yoga i was like mom you put me in it you showed me this could happen <laughs> Oh that's amazing. I didn't know that you were a lawyer. That's incredible. Yeah, so we'll talk I am, about I am. we'll talk about that. So you obviously <laughs> went off and and studied law. And um so how did that unfold? How did um from going to from being a lawyer translate into becoming a yoga instructor? Uh so basically um we are supposed to know post 10th grade what we are going to do it's not like abroad where you get to choose certain subjects to get a feel mm-hmm. of what you want to do you're just supposed to bang on choose okay i want to do this or that so i chose to do my 5 year degree in law and not because i wanted to uh because i would be very good at fighting according to my parents and they were like do law and i think also uh sometimes families just set it up for you in your head Mm. and because i didn't know what else i was good at or wanted to do i knew i played a lot of sports in school but i don't think that was ever given as an option even yoga or teaching would never be an option i remember when i told my family i wanted to do yoga they said so you want to uh, become a gym trainer <laughs> i'm like no i mean that's not bad but that's not what a yoga teacher is yeah uh, so i think i did my 5 years of law i put on a lot of weight during mm. that 5 years because i neglected my practice i didn't practice during that time barely i would mm. go out partying we discovered the partying world we come out from school discovered everything the junk food that we mom doesn't know you're eating in college so i think i put on 13 to 14 kgs wow. not those 5 years between those 5 years yeah. and towards yeah. the end of the 5 years is when i realized you know i got pcod i started seeing stuff acne on my face just mm. generally feeling low depressed because the shit you eat shows in your head you know like yeah. it transpires yeah so i think there on i started feeling really bad so i started getting back to yoga mm-hmm. towards the mm-hmm. end and then i started got a job and i was working as a lawyer and mm-hmm. i remember i was working in this production house where everyone were damn cool so i didn't have to wear a law like a you know suit or anything i could go in my pajamas which was the best thing ever because i would just go sneak into the back do some yoga between break time and the 10 hour shift and i realized that that 5 10 minutes was so good compared to my 10 hours of work 
Mm. So I started teaching in my building. Um, where we say right now is like a two, uh, it's a colony, right? It's a yeah. society of people. So I started teaching in my building. I said, please, uh, you know, very minimal fee. Just tell me if you like it. Just trying to experiment as yeah. to what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling, why am I feeling this towards yoga? And I realized that 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. was the highlight of my day, the teaching. Wow. Compared to the rest of my day that I was sitting in front of my laptop and like staring at a screen. Uh, so I think that's what made a difference in me. Also, I went to Oroville. Okay, I yeah. don't know if you've heard of this place. Yeah, it's yeah, called, it's yeah. in close to Pondicherry. And I met a few yogis there because my best friend stays there. And I was just so like, oh, wow, this exists. You could be a yoga teacher. You know, till yeah. then I was like, that's not a career option. Yeah. yeah. So all this just compiled together within a year of me working. And I was like, I'm done. Mm. You know, do it. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah, I, I find Oroville a really interesting place because it's such a different way of life. And it's such an interesting way of incorporating people's skills. And um, yeah, I think it's a fascinating place. Definitely a place where you go for an awakening moment or even even just to observe that like there is another way of life outside of this sort of boxed life that we we believe um exists and I think it's not a bad thing either like I know that your parents would have absolutely wanted the best for you and to give you the best opportunities in life and that's why they directed you to a career like um, law but I think it's interesting that you are having these symptoms in your body as well and you were also like not nourishing your body um there was like it feels like there was a disconnect at that time that you were not following your path that really lit you up yeah. and you were also sort of separating yourself even from your body and um you know and then you started getting acne and things like that many people that we've had on the podcast have had these very similar stories yeah. where they've gone down that road and gone oh my god i've created this life for myself and now this is not what i want to do so um, hats off to you for stepping out of that because many, many people do not. Thank but you. Um, tell me about any difficult, like rock bottom moments or dark nights of the soul that you faced along the way that you really think shaped your path and led you, led you into this path and this have made you a really great yoga teacher. So uh, one of the battles that I've fought all my life, which I didn't know was actually a battle when I was younger. I was just fighting mm-hmm. it and not even knowing it was... I have an eating disorder, which people in India don't consider as eating disorders, sadly. Uh, it's called binge eating disorder. You could also call it as bulimia nursova. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you overeat to a degree of, say, 7,000, 8,000 to 10,000 calories within a few hours of your day, and then purge, and purge doesn't mean vomiting. It could be over-exercising, it could be over-dieting, that you're going into directly 20 hours of intermittent fasting the next day yeah or four hours on the treadmill you know trying to burn the the damage done so So, as a kid I didn't know I it started with just binge eating where I would to make myself feel better to make myself feel more comfortable more secure I would eat I'm a I'm from a South Indian household so I would eat like 10 dosas (laughs) and uh, suddenly that kept increasing And at that time, I used to play a lot of sports, so you couldn't see it on me. And I wouldn't think it's an issue because I was like, we Indians like just say, oh, we are from a good, healthy family. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But later on, once I joined college, when the sports stopped and the chilling and the partying started, uh, I think that's when I started seeing 
my weight gain of 13 to 14 kgs the acne the pcod mm-hmm. um kept falling sick didn't know why there was just uh, body was malfunctioning you know yeah. also yeah. if you're having up to 7000 to 10000 calories in a day that's over 1 and 1/2 kg that's around 1 1 1/2 kg right you can easily so people were seeing me one day and they're like oh you're looking skinny they'll see me just two days after and they'll be like why are you looking 5 kg spatter and i'm like i've had a 3 day binge wow <laughs> and oh. i couldn't do anything about it so i think that was one of my main um, struggles and it's not that it's gone it's it's an ongoing process you know it's something that you have to fight the urge every time because after some time i think these um, disorders are more of a habit that your yeah. mind creates than the actual disorder so yeah. i know i had to open up to my triggers understand i think yoga came in there where i tried to feel my breath mm. because mm. when you get riled up the breath is the first thing that goes so just understanding my breath also while practicing i would realize how heavy i was feeling how mm. nauseous i was feeling all the toxin because yoga has a lot of compression of the belly right you're pulling sucking in the belly so i would automatically feel like these burps and toxic um you know feeling in my chest and my mouth while i was practicing i'm like burping and practicing i'm like oh what is this i'm not even eating right now wow. you know so i think that's what pushed me um into yoga and it's still helping me because triggers what happen in life um for example if a family member falls sick and i have to be the caretaker all those things are triggers right those are stress triggers and that one hour a day if i start my day with yoga i just feel at least i'm setting the tone for the day yeah so um starting the day with mindfulness and um starting the day in that centered space so that exactly, you can sort of handle exactly. handle what's coming there are some days though i just wake up and go to the fridge and eat something and then it goes on just like that like so that's why i realized that the start of the day so matters because the days i wake up hungry i know that day is just like mm. gone oh. my eating disorder will devour my day yeah wow and um i think that's when i realized discipline is where my yoga came in and detachment mm. is one thing that yoga teaches you right detachment from life emotions your vessel your body your own practice you know i'd come to a point where it becomes so compulsively obsessive about my yoga also mm. but yoga also tells you that you shouldn't be attached to even that that yeah. even if that can't happen that's fine yeah you know yeah, yeah. so i think that's why I have many friends as well who spin that into and even I myself have done this that you take something as well that is really good like yoga that's a really healthy practice and then you become obsessed with it you know and so you can turn something that's really healthy into some into another diversion of your obsession and you can sort of go oh well I've you know I've cured that addiction but I've just switched it to something else and you haven't really dealt with any of the underlying issues that uh causing those addictions you know exactly. and um yeah and so i i think that's really interesting and how did you sort of begin to identify like those triggers because i i imagine like how our bodies work or how our minds work more is when we're stressed and we just need to feel better like we don't think oh what's a healthier way to feel better <laughs> we're just like oh fridge chocolate yes you know like that's the that's how we think and how we react so how did you sort of begin to dismantle some of those triggers and those impulses 
and replace them with um, healthier ways to make yourself feel better. So, you know, going to the fridge and picking up a chocolate is not a bad thing. Yeah. It's actually not bad, right? Yeah. Having something comfortable, but to the point when you don't know where you're stopping. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's... I remember there was a time, like... I'm not going to list the things I had in one meal because then you all will just like, okay, bad yogi, cancel. <laughs> so, uh, if I, like, I've realized that when my body's uncomfortable, so it was a trial and error thing, right? Because sometimes I thought only when I'm sad, only when I'm upset is when the triggers come. But slowly with time, I realized it's not only when I'm sad. It could also mean if I've not slept properly. Mm. So any uncomfortable feeling to my body. Yeah. yeah. Even if I'm sick, people eat less, right? When they're sick, I eat more. Because I'm trying to make my body feel better because I'm feeling so sick. Yeah. But the moment I'm really happy and comfortable, I, would, I don't even think about food. I'm like, oh, two meals a day, I'm good, you know? So when you come to your rock bottom is when... You've literally kept food aside all night. I've reached to that level. Not right now. These were This was a few years back. I'd left an overnight slice of pizza on the floor next to me on a paper. And I ate it the next morning. Because I woke up feeling like shit. I woke up feeling even hungry than I started. Because the feeling as to why I was eating it was not quenched. Yeah. Because when you're eating, when you're craving something, as soon as you eat that, suppose I'm craving a pizza, as soon as I eat that slice, my mind will satisfy itself. Yeah. Maybe three slices, maybe four. Okay, fine, you stop there. But even after you have like one whole medium or large size pizza by yourself and your mind is still craving food, Mm. that's an emotional urge. And this took me a lot of time to figure out. It wasn't a wake-up call. It was me literally falling on food one night waking up and wondering where I am, what am I doing? It feels like kind of a high, which people, you know, yeah. don't get it. Because when I tell people binge eating disorder, they laugh. They're like, so you eat a lot, just control it. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to tell them that think of it as alcohol addiction because sugar, Yeah. right? Yeah. Any kind of food triggers your sugar level in your body. It doesn't have to actually be sugar itself. Yeah. It's anything right? that turns Fruits, into sugar. Anything. Anything, there's a slight uh, insulin spike. So, it's so hard to tell people that eating disorder, whether even anorexia, Mm -hmm. people will still believe anorexia because if you look a certain way, like if you look skinny to the bone, then people will be like, oh my God, there's something wrong with you. But if you look fat, they'll just think you're lazy. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And it's kind of, it's a little bit like telling a heroin addict, oh, well, just stop. You know, it's, it's, um, exactly. and, but because food is something we can't live without, yeah. people don't take yeah. it seriously because it's something, and it's tougher, right? With food because you have to eat it. Yeah. And it's actually finding that middle ground. You can't go cold exactly. turkey and completely cut food out of your life. Um, so it's really trying to navigate and find that middle ground. And, um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree as well. Like, it's totally fine to have a piece of chocolate and, you know, and eat whatever you want, actually. But the question that I kind of always ask myself is, and it's not just with food, actually. It's with, like, Netflix or Instagram or, you know, anything. It's Any like, kind of binge. Like, yeah, wine, you know. Is it, <laughs> is it nourishing or is it numbing? 
Because you know what, when you sit and share a bottle of wine with your girlfriends, that's nourishing. Like that's soul food, that's soul nourishing. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I don't know what the number of bottles of wine it would be it would be the definer. But I think it doesn't actually matter how much or how little. It's about is it nourishing or are you doing this to check out and numb something that you should be looking at and doing so you know how we say start your yoga practice with an intention? I think that's anything with life. Right? Yeah. It's starting anything with an intention. Are you drinking because you want to numb something and not think about something and just get wasted? Or are you drinking to just enjoy someone's company and just be a little in a fun space of mind? Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. such, you know, that's such even, a great practice, great actually. actually. Yeah, and even with this series you're watching, are you watching it just because you want to know what's happening and it's like a cool series and... Or you're just watching it while on your phone in the background, something's going on and then you're watching it again, getting out. Ten hours have passed, you're doing the same thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. just the intent of which you do anything. And yeah. there are days even I just put on stuff because I'm so tired with work. But again, if you're doing that to relax, it's different. If you're doing that to run away or hide or conceal anything, it it is... Yeah, not going to do good even you. even your yoga practice even your yoga even practice. my yoga i have i've had that phase where i've only practiced and practiced and practiced i go to mysore and don't talk to anyone in bombay practice over there but after some time my guru over there in mysore bharat shetty told me that you are so obsessed with your practice now yeah you've become <laughs> attached to your practice yeah and there are your limitations right at that time like Suppose my body is not ready for it. I will not be able to go in a handstand or a headstand or whatever asana that I'm focusing on. But I'm so obsessed with my practice that I want to reach that level. But yeah, again, okay. understand. Okay, maybe some things are not meant for your body. Some things you shouldn't do. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I think that's one thing that everyone has to realize. Even when we go partying, I've seen people now party 10 days in a stretch and they'll be like, fine, but some bodies can't take it. Yeah. But I think you still try to push, push, push. I've been there again. I I feel like I'm saying a lot of I've been there. But, <laughs> but I think, but I think a lot that's of people what can uh, relate. Life makes you do. Because this is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, actually, in um, in terms of yoga is this, you know, I'm really sort of, I don't want to say against, but I really don't want to buy into personally. And I also don't want to promote this sort of idea of what we've turned yoga into and this idealism of this very puritanical perfectionist lifestyle of, you know, we have to eat everything this correctly 100% of the time. We have to get up at 4 a.m. and practice and we have to at least meditate for two hours a day. And, you know, we have created the wellness industry, I think, has created this image of what it looks like to be a spiritual person, what it looks like to be a yogi, and physically what it looks like to be a yogi. And yes. um, it's almost branded this as this is the yoga body and this is what you are attaining to. And the reality is, is that that is not what yoga is about at all. And it's also not realistic because all of our bodies are different. We're all different shapes and sizes. And as you said, you felt like when you were younger, you're much taller, broader boned and um have you ever felt that you didn't fit into that specific yoga body that stereotypical you know model slash um you know supermodel i mean we have it in australia a lot yeah. and yeah. you know everybody looks like a supermodel and then they go to mysore and they're super flexible and you know have you ever felt that you didn't fit that mold and um you know met other people that didn't fit that mold 
Um, I have met other people who don't fit that mold, but it's it's um, bad of me to even say there's a mold, right? Because then I'm actually realizing who fits, who doesn't. Mm, um, yeah. As I've always been a broadbone girl, and I put on weight very easily because of my PCOD and because just generally my binges, it's still not gone, right? There'll be six months, I'll be fine, and then there'll be one day that I couldn't yeah. hold it in. So I do put on weight very easily, and now quarantine, corona... We're all sitting at home and just, you know, devouring our feelings and lives. So I have realized this. People have come and told me, oh, you don't have a yoga yoga b- body. And mm. I'm like, and I couldn't even ask her, what is a yoga body? Because in my head, I used to feel that too. But I never really said it out loud because yeah. people would say, oh, you look as if you're a sports girl. You know, maybe you'd play like uh, football or volleyball or one of these sports where it's like, ugh. And not like something as gentle they would think yoga would be. <laughs> and I would just be like, I don't know, guys. Like, And I would see the girls around me in my batch when I would go for yoga. And they're all really petite. And they have this same, like, a similar structure of body type, which is very light. And they can flow through everything. And it seems so beautiful that they're just dancing in their poses. And there I'm, like, coming, like, stomp, stomp. <laughs> and I'm like, that's... Cool. That's all right because I've been a Bharatnatyam dancer since I was a kid, and in Bharatnatyam, which is an Indian dance form, mm-hmm. you have to literally stomp your feet on the ground to make a noise. So yeah. for me, that was like a very contrary thing to yoga. And I remember people would come and tell me that, and I'm like, but how do I change that? You know, they'll be like, oh, you don't have a yoga body type. I'm like, okay, how do I change that? People would come and say, oh, you're doing this pose, but look at your arms. Uh, I'm a broad girl. I'll have broad arms. It, I can't have disfigured arms in compared to my shoulders or my hips, you know. And even generally, I know people in cities are very, I think, so much about how a person is perceived by their looks. Mm-hmm. Like, they would never even consider there might be, oh, the person might be sick or the person might have a hard month. That's why the person's put on weight. But you have to look a certain way. You know, your education takes a bad fall. The ways you can teach takes a bad fall. It just pertains to, oh, she looks fit, so maybe she can make me like that, Mm. you know? But I think these stereotypes, sort of, especially in yoga and wellness, need to be sort of dismantled and set aside because I think it's really unhealthy to be like, well, I'm aiming for this particular yoga body instead of being like, I'm going to enter into the practice and you know, let my body do what my body does, you know, and in the same way of eating and things like that, like it took me years to actually get out of the cycle of, you know, disordered eating when I was in my like, late teens and early 20s of just, you know, starvation, basically, like I would live on nothing. And it took me a really long time to go back and forth between I'm just going to eat healthy, and let my body do what, you know, what it does, rather than I'm going to make my body be what I have decided it should be, you know, and especially in terms of something like yoga and wellness, like we're here to make people more healthy. We're here to encourage people to be more authentic and be more healthy. And yet we're sort of setting up yes. these standards um, of, of what it is to, to be a good yogi. And, um, you know, how do you find that when you're teaching? Because I know that you're, you're very open about um, this, this eating disorder. And um, I love that about you, that you're very open speaking about it. Because I don't feel like in India, people speak that much about it. 
Um, I, I, don't think I think in the West it's it. much more common, but um, I think even if you speak about it, like literally the most common statement I have: get over it and control. Mm. Like yes, that's that's the goal. Get over it and control is exactly the goal. But that's not as much as oh, I didn't get to watch this episode today. I'll get over it. I'll control and watch tomorrow. It's not that easy, you know. It yeah. is your mind literally tricking you to believe a certain fact that might not be true at the time. It doesn't mean you're mentally ill or you have a deep. It could come from anywhere. You could be depressed. You could be anxious, and you're eating because of that. Or it could just be because of lazy boredom, and you build a habit, right? Mm. But you have to just yeah. figure where you're coming from. But in India, I don't think they accept it. Like, at least not the people I've told to have had binge eating disorder. They were like, okay, they'll know what anorexia is. Not eating, eating too much, they'll be just like, oh, but control. You lose it, and I'm like, but you don't realize. And especially in Bombay, in a city, when you're trying to go out. and then you have to restrict yourself right because everyone's eating everything and drinking everything and then you're like no you're like come on eat it eat it eat it and indians are very forceful with food yeah. <laughs> i don't know if you've noticed that it's like eat my food <laughs> and i'm like okay but then that one bite goes to 10 and it never happens in front of people right because your insecurities will never come out like i nobody would know i'm insecure if they met me in a party right yeah. Firstly, if I entered a party and they came to know as a yogi, people would just say hashtag bad yogi on my face, and I'm like, okay, but that's my life, guys. Um, so I think it's just how how I've seen so many stereotypes break down in my head. Uh, people have called me out, oh, you're non-vegetarian. I'm like, that's my roots, guys. And maybe someday I might become vegetarian, turn vegan. But right now, that's not my calling. I have other priorities to sort in my life, in my head. then force myself to restrict another food group yeah you know yeah. like it's not good to restrict a whole food group when you're going through an eating disorder so yeah. i don't even think about that then comes to drinking do you drink you shouldn't drink i'm like it's all about balance if i'm drinking every day and falling on the floor and not knowing reality versus my drunk state of mind then yes it's bad but if i'm having a drink or two and in a city life where i know everyone around me does it i and i know my boundaries and i know my restrictions i think it's fine if you're doing it for fun which people again look down upon it and all so yeah i I've, i've been at a party before with a friend of mine who's also a yoga teacher and she's literally stood there and said to me hey can you just hold my wine a second i see one of my students over there and i'm just like oh Why? my god this is crazy <laughs> but even though that i don't think she was necessarily like ashamed of it but she just didn't yeah. even want to have that conversation because it's like right. and again it's this thing that we've put up that like yoga teachers are not real people who live real lives of course you are and um but i think what this disturbingly leads to is actually a lot of hiding and a lot of shame Yes. Um you know like for example like you would never binge eat in front of a lot of people because you wouldn't oh, want anyone never. to say yeah like what are you doing oh you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that and um or even call you out on being a bad yogi but it's it then leads you to do these things hidden away and it's interesting the the example you gave of anorexia earlier on because it's like oh you can see when someone has anorexia well actually you can only really see it when they're really far down the road they're very far down the road you know yeah. and so there is a time when someone who 
um, can very easily disguise anorexia as just being disciplined, as being healthy, as being yeah. vegan, yeah. as being, you know, I don't, I'm That's vegan also, so, but it, it's a very easy very thing easy. to kind of hide. And I think that a lot of these kind of judgments that we have on people, um, you know, just do lead to a lot of shame. And so I think, especially with a yoga teacher, I think I love this, that you're so open about like, yes, I'm a real person. I suffer from real things and I'm still yeah. a really good yoga teacher, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, because as yoga teachers, I don't think we claim to be enlightened that we're sitting and we've like gained enlightenment and we've, you know, now we don't need anything in life. We are also fighting with our own battles. We are dealing, we have figured out, the thing with yoga teachers is they've figured out their triggers and they work on their triggers with yoga. And they, yeah. because they have gone through their share of triggers, they know how to help others with their triggers. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that's, bec most yoga people are, have been through the most horrific paths if you've ever met yeah. them. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It's what's pushed them towards yoga to gain something out of it. We are not claiming to be gurus or we're not claiming to be these enlightened souls who sit on mountains and, you know, meditate for hours. In fact, some of my students, I don't even let them meditate depending on their mental state. Not everyone should meditate. Not everything is for everyone. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. so people are like, oh, you're stressed, you're anxious. Meditate. Stereotyping, everything. Meditation cannot help. Some people, when they go quiet, they get more panicky. They start thinking of gazillion more things, which is not good for them at the moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So everything is stereotyped. There's never anything that, oh, maybe this, maybe that. Everything from meditation to drinking habits to everything. For me, at least my, my students know, okay, this is my life. I do go out drinking sometimes. I do go out partying. I have my friends that they even know my issues because I speak about it openly so that they can speak out openly back as, as well. Yeah. Because many people come as a fitness level and leave saying, oh my God, I actually needed breathing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I think uh, that stereotype is something that I have seen a lot of here. If I go traveling, in fact, I never get these kind of things. Oh, you're a yoga teacher, you're too broad, you're too this. I actually don't get that. Because if you see uh, American girls, they're still taller and broader. Yeah. They're, they're, not, yeah. they're thin, but they're taller and broader. You know, they still have a bigger build. So I think it's here. I used to have guys come up to me and say, you're tall for a girl. And I'm just 5'8". I'm not 6'0". I'm not, I'm not that tall, you know, if you compare me to somewhere else. And I'll be like, I'm just 5'8", guys. And these are things you're commenting on a person's personality that they cannot change. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're a big girl. Okay, how am I supposed to shave my collarbones out or shave my ankles out to look, you know? There was a time I remember I would actually bend my knees at a party or something. Like, you know, just slightly, you know, when I was younger, just slightly hinge on the knee, which it wouldn't look bad, but I wouldn't stand up tall as I would today because I would be like, oh, you know, my friends are a little shorter, so maybe I'll just blend in. And now I'm like, forget all that. I'm going to stand up tall. Let me look the tallest person in the picture. Oh, I am yeah, cool about it. You're happy with that. <laughs> And yeah. um, has this pattern of binging and purging, does this pattern show up or this dynamic show up in other areas of your life? Like with work or with other oh, things? Oh, yes. Mm. Yes. Um, I remember there are days that... So you're binging when it starts, it feels like a normal meal, okay, like mm. any other. But slowly as you're having every bite, you realize that, okay, the head rush starts. 
then you start feeling a little more like anxious you start feeling a little more tingling in your palms and at that moment your mind has already told you that you are going to binge today you have defeated there's no use of fighting this and before you actually binged you feel like you've lost the day like there's that feeling like i've realized this because i do so much reading on this it's 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 not even sane to do that much reading on this because i like to know logically everything why am i feeling this and i realized that one of these books told me that your mind tricks you into believing you have binged already before you've taken the first bite of binging mm. so you've already felt you've lost then you're like now what just eat you know yeah so yeah. you'll actually feel low right before you say okay and as soon as you say okay you feel enlightened already and happy and you're eating yeah but by the end of sometimes 7 hours sometimes the whole day of eating you then feel so sleepy because of the overdose of sugar and calories in your body your eyes are barely opening and you realize that okay now there's no way out this can't and i i've never puked i've never put my fingers out and puked i always try and run uh but during this pandemic or sometimes when you're not available to a treadmill to go crazy on you realize the next day how it attacks your mind mm. you know i would wake up feeling depressed and by depressed i mean say right after the binge crying for hours and not knowing why i'm crying i know it's the binge but mm. the binge can be sorted right you can slowly come back but why am i howling and crying because as soon as you take your sh- binge up 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 that's how hard you'll fall down right Yeah. So the higher you go the crash is even harder. And the next day I'd feel my nose would be stuffed, my throat would start hurting because you're continuously using your throat to eat that much like if I'm eating and you're not munching, right? Throughout this process your body's not telling you munch 20 times between each bite. <laughs> you're actually inhaling. You're just like putting it in your mouth and inhaling. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. waiting for the taste, you're not waiting, it's just filling you up. That's the goal. So while this process happens the next day it makes you so low so depressed that there are times that I've just canceled all I'd have seven classes but I wouldn't be able to move from my bed wow so that's how it would affect my uh classes when it came to work when a person would meet me for the first meeting they would say oh you're perfect let's do this that's that's when I'm like worked out feeling great ta 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 then maybe something happens there's a binge two weeks later they seeing me i'm looking like a whole different dress size and they're like but we cannot take you and in my head as i'm like how is my size mattering when i can still do the same things in yoga i can just if you don't want me to wear a sports bra and do it i'll do it wear a t-shirt but how is that affecting my performance my ability but then i see it right people are like it's how you look it's how you look as a fitness person and sometimes i get it maybe you would go to the best looking ripped fitness person and not a lazy um i wouldn't call myself lazy because even when my binges i was run, running but if you see a slightly plumper person you're like okay if they can't maintain themselves how will they maintain me mm-hmm. correct that i and i get it that is the psychology behind it that's their thinking behind it which is very valid sometimes but also sometimes i don't know it's it also the background of the other person that matters i feel but it's hard for someone to look in that deep when you barely know someone so yeah lost job offers do you think uh, it's also and, uh, do you think it's also like the energy that you're putting you're putting off as well because like 
when you're not binging, you're feeling really good about yourself. And then when you've come off a binge, then suddenly your energy is different because internally you're it not is. feeling great. You think that they're picking up on that. Suddenly in your head, maybe you've put on three kgs, but in my head, I've put on 10 kgs. Yeah. yeah. Because you're feeling heavy, you're feeling low, you're not feeling yourself. Mm. It's mm. you feel like another person has taken over, eaten everything, left your body, and you're left with a mess to deal with. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's literally like that. You don't feel like after the binge, you won't even feel that it's actually happened. You're actually thinking, did eight nine hours go in this? Mm. You know, and when I talk about it to people, it's very like they don't get it. It's it's very whew, out of their mind, but. I keep trying to talk to people about it because there are so many people who do the same thing. Yeah. But they yeah. don't know it is an eating disorder because they're like, I like food. Yes, you like food, but it's it's the difference between liking food and eating food just for the sake of eating. If you're having, say, 10, 20 ice creams, that's not calling you loving food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there has to be a balance. And I know that for a fact is because it's so hard to, for me Mm. Even till date, to maintain that balance. Yeah. Because recovery, I would call this recovery. Recovery is an ongoing process. It's I can't say I've healed now, my binge eating is gone and I've never faced it again. Yeah. There's a year in between that I did not face it at all. But then suddenly some event, monumental event or crisis happens in your life and then you come back there. And that space, I think, feels so familiar and comfortable that the first binge will be like, it feels it's fine. Exactly. You'll be like, it's a first binge, it won't happen again, but this is what I needed. It was comfort. Second goes to comfort. Third goes to comfort. By then, you're just doing it out of habit and because you feel it will make your body feel better, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I've also got random symptoms. It makes you get throat infections. It makes you get a perpetual cold. It makes you get stomach issues, like really bad stomach issues. I'm, and I'm sure. And I'm, I'm sure it also is a hormonal thing as well or... Um, you know, especially when you're dumping, so you're hammering, um, you know, your blood sugar, you're spiking your blood sugar so high, and then you're coming down in a massive crash. That's like, um, you know, really affects your hormones and really affects then your mood and everything like that. So what are the different wellness modalities, spiritual practices, psychological practices that you have um, used to sort of heal either to uncover the emotions behind the triggers and heal those and also help you um, set some healthier patterns in place. So um, I think one of the things that I have realized that I never did is eat slowly. Mm. So we always eat either when we're on a phone looking at someone in conversation or we're looking at the TV. What I try to do is at home is eat by myself. Mm but focus on the food I'm eating. Yeah, yeah. So I used to never even look at the plate. <laughs> I would just mm-hmm. like gulp. So that slow eating, focusing on how much I'm eating, waiting before I take an extra serving because is it just because my mind is telling me or is it because I'm actually hungry? Yeah. You yeah. know, understanding that. There are days you obviously are a little more hungry than the other. Yeah. So yeah. you don't want to restrict yourself also. So one is that mindfulness with eating patterns. Yeah. Um, also knowing what kind of food that I've ever binged on so usually for me it's like chocolates or there's this 
orange lays i don't know if you've heard of it which yeah, is like phenomenal in my head but i try not to have that magic masala all. is it that flavor magic masala it's masala. no it, it's this hot <laughs> sweet and uh, spicy oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i always take people talking back to food <laughs> uh, so it's any kind of preference it could be a twix or a mars or it could be something that you've actually binged on where you had 20 30 of them and couldn't control yourself from saying no i'll have it one hour later or i'll have it tomorrow mm. so those kind of foods you actually have to restrict because as soon as you have it your mind triggers the taste yeah your mind gets triggered by the taste saying that oh i know what this is i know what i have to do with this mm. so your mind actually doesn't understand what you're doing it just remembers habits and patterns yeah Yeah. right because your animal brain which is right below the top part of the functional brain of yours takes over yeah with yeah. all the survival instincts so when your body thinks it's going in crisis when your mind thinks it's going in crisis it'll binge on your food mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right to make you feel comfortable thinking that's how you're going to save your crisis yeah yeah so that's what your mind does so mindful eating avoiding triggers now Yes, you're living in a very volatile world. You can't avoid every trigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there are some triggers you can avoid, like eating your the specific food or making sure you're sleeping right. Yeah. Not yeah. sleeping is also one of the major triggers because your body just drops. Right. You feel so tired that your body thinks it needs fuel because you're feeling tired by sleep. Your body believes you need extra fuel. Yeah. So your body again goes in survival mode. So your body. things it has to go in survival mode too often once you're doing it as a habit mm, yeah correct so second is that sleeping well also what you're putting in your body if even if you are eating too much of the wrong food your body is going to crave for the right food mm-hmm. but your body will never say oh i'm craving spinach because it will give you iron yeah your body yeah. will directly say give me food yeah but yeah. you have to realize what your deficiencies are are you giving your body enough protein enough minerals enough everything also overdoing the workout i've done this i have worked out maybe thrice a day sometimes for 2 2 hours 1 1 hour each and i will fuel myself before but that excess stress on your hormonal system on your nervous system just makes you binge even more mm-hmm. because it increases the stress hormones in your body right it in- increases the cortisol levels in your body so you get very panicky and you start like okay okay now i'm stressed again body will trigger binge mm. so i think it's all these small small things whether it came to yoga i realized the best thing was to just add my yoga practice where i combine i do more vinyasa where i combine my breath mm-hmm. and i combine my movement yeah i don't do ashtanga or hatha specifically unless i'm in my yoga school because i think i like to go with the flow whatever my body feels like i'll do it and go through the flow switch with every breath yeah also what i make sure i do is when i wake up i do uh, even if i do 5 minutes it's fine but i try to do 20 minutes of breathing which is say alternate nostril breathing more calming down breathings uh, and before going to bed i'll try to do belly breathing mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. something i keep telling my students also is even if you're lying down on bre- bed hold your palms onto your belly and just inhale expand the belly exhale contract yeah bring yeah. all your focus on your belly and just breathe yeah because yeah. that's then taking you out of that fight or flight mode because part of our, the issue in our society now how we live is that we're constantly being triggered into our fight or flight mode and it's it's doing us a lot of damage actually it's doing a lot of damage to our nervous system and so that conscious breath is just bringing us back into that space of 
peace and out yeah. of that fight or flight mode. Yeah. yeah, so what do you feel um, have been some of your biggest successes in life so far and what have you learned from them? Um, I think one of my biggest successes personally is boundaries. Um, I would never understand boundaries. I would give and give and give yeah. to the point yeah. that would trigger my binging, eating disorder, mental stress. And I've had anxiety all my life because of all this, right? Because of all this, this gives you anxiety, this gives you um, all kinds of triggers. So I think setting up boundaries, because if someone told me, I remember this one time I had a exam and I had to study for it one day before, but my friend needed help. So I left my studying to just help her in something rubbish. Mm-hmm. Not even something interesting and life-changing or monumental. Yeah. <laughs> just something stupid. But I would lend out so much of myself because of insecurities, because of my own displaced feelings. I would give out so much that I would go ahead and beyond for people. But now is when I've heard, understood boundaries. I, would, I'm, I think my yoga practice has helped me with that too because I've understand boundaries even in my practice. That okay, mm-hmm. this is where you can't go. This is how much you can do. Yeah. Today, yeah. 20 minutes. Tomorrow, maybe you'll be able to do longer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's one thing that helps you even restrict because the more you're doing it in something that makes you feel happy, the more you can do it even outside yeah. of that. Yeah. So boundaries is something I learned that. Uh, I think yoga-wise also, I used to fight with my practice a lot. Like I would be like, no, I have to attain this. I have to attain this. I have to attain this. I've understood that, okay, I've fallen sick. If I've fallen sick today, for a few months, my body will not be there. Mm-hmm. And I've had two setbacks in this last year where I have fallen sick, maybe because of my uh, binge eating or because of anything it could be, where I was hospitalized and, you know, I had to come out of it. Yeah. So those yeah. two instances had really taken me, because I was on steroids and this and that, they had really taken me way back in my practice. That a normal plank position, my arms would, like, shake to the bone, like I had to like rest every time I'm doing a five minutes practice. And the biggest thing I think in people and yoga, even yoga people, which people, yoga people think they don't have actually is ego. Hmm. And that's the biggest thing. And that's letting go of that ego of I have done this before, so I can and I will do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or ego yeah. in anything. I think ego is one of our, like, it's so hard. It's so hard. It's I can't say I've let go of it, but I've really seen myself pull back yeah. and say, yeah. no, the ego isn't right. Even when you're fighting with your family or fighting with your friends or you get into an argument, I would be the lo- loudest voice in the room. Mm. I would shut mm. people up. Now, I've realized in the last two years, I take the back seat. I'll be like, okay, you don't have to always be the loudest room you don't have to prove yourself you're right you can take a back seat and not hassle other people around you Mm. you know that's personally these are the two really good things that I've been able to contain is because you always want to prove you're right you always want to prove your statement is right and many people do that yeah I think mostly all people do that and I used to do that and I've learned to just sit back and smile and say, okay, you're right. Let things go. <laughs> you know, things be like, go. Yeah, that's interesting. And so tell me, how did you get diagnosed initially with this, with this eating disorder? You know, nobody diagnosed me with it because nobody understands eating disorders. Even the last two times I felt sick and I was hospitalized, they told me it was, they mentioned till now it is an autoimmune thing which cannot 
this they don't understand it right autoimmune is something that they don't understand where your body is attacking itself yeah so i yeah. get these random inflammations in my on my eyes my face foot and i just wonder what are these big inflammations suddenly that i had to rest mm. and the more i'm reading on eating disorders the more i'm seeing on eating disorders it could okay and this is a, actually weirdly in the last month i've read stuff could show that it actually could just be my eating disorder that yeah, has malfunctioned for so long in my body that now my body is projecting yeah your body is saying enough is enough, enough is i can't yeah because if i'm eating too much i'll get a throat infection it's scraping the back of my throat it's keeping my throat chakra my throat unhealthy mm-hmm. the same thing it's going to give me the acid will lift up it's going to give me a post nasal drip it's going to affect my belly so all this is so like most of my symptoms of this autoimmune disease which may or may not be there but in my reading i still feel it is my binge eating disorder because most of the symptoms that i read the severe symptoms were out of that and i do have and working through a really severe case of eating disorder mm-hmm. um so i was admitted and admitted and i remember telling the doctors that this they treated my symptoms yeah right they treated my symptoms they didn't treat the root cause of why it was happening and i went through mris i went through 6 7 mris i went through 2 lakh worth of blood tests in one day and i was just like okay and recently is what i read is you can get a sore throat you can get cold you can get chills because you're eating so much your body is fighting you know yeah, uh, yeah. the immune system fails because you're not nurturing it you're giving it only crap yeah like yeah. there would be days i've eaten 30 chocolate bars eight packets of lays another pizza there's no nutrition in any of this that your body could work on right yeah. so and mentally also is draining your body if your body is in a negative mental space your body works in a negative way yeah right yeah. like if you feel depressed 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 you could also infect your body into something that's not even connected yeah to yeah. depression but because your body is in a negative zone it is working in a very different uh, line yeah it's not yeah. working in its normal course yeah it's interesting cuz psychologically um like food represents nourishment and represents love so it's like anorexia is sort of a manifestation of um someone who don't doesn't necessarily believe that they deserve love they don't deserve that nourishment and it's almost a case of like wanting to shrink away and then binge eating is almost the rebellion of that and the grabbing like i need yes. more love you know and it's both it's it's the same thing yeah. you know yeah. it's a lack Trying of nourishment a lack better. of true nourishment and um it's it's funny when you were talking about that when you said you were younger and you were like oh i wanted to be smaller i wanted to shrink i wanted you know it's almost like your body is rebelling and it's saying like i'm going to take up this space in the world like you know and um, yeah and, and and so it it's an interesting sort of concept i think yeah but um so tell me i know that you do a lot of reading so tell me some of who have some of your major influences be been either in yoga or um you know different books that you've read um on this topic of disordered eating um or in your own personal life so in disordered eating there are there are a few there's binge over brain there's you know a few on those lines but i think bottom line all say the same thing yeah all yeah. say the same thing is that your animal brain tricks over so treat that as another person when you get such thoughts talk about that thing as another person don't think of it you as your uh, true being yeah don't okay. think of it as your essence so 
binge eating disorder is when I came to know also I had it because I would keep telling people that I eat abnormal amount of food. Mm. <laughs> this is not normal. I'm very hungry. Why am I hungry? They're like, oh, you're growing up. You'll need nourishment. You'll need... Mm. I'm like, no, but if I'm craving something, I'm eating like, say, you can't eat two large pizzas by yourself and eat 10 other foods after that, right? <laughs> that, that's not hunger. So I remember reading these books in um, yoga. I think one of the people who have helped me the most is my guru in Mysore right now. Uh, Bharat Shetty he's really good and he's so patient I remember there were times like we students would have breakdowns during our practice mm. and he would literally counsel us sitting right there though he had children at home wife at home he's sitting and counseling us at a common ground in the shala where you wow. sit and he like talk to us and you know um, counsel us and actually tell us what's happening in our mind that we can't see as because we're going through it mm. you know so he's really helped me a lot um, I think uh, Ayangar yeah, yeah. Nobody can beat him. <laughs> Krishna Macharya. All these people, their books are really good and they teach you so much about detachment and understanding your own vessel, then hoping it to be some vessel. Yeah. You know what I mean? So instead of hoping that you become something, understand yourself first. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yoga, people always think it is asanas. Yoga is either meditation or yoga is poses. Yeah, there yeah. is so much more to only than yoga, meditation, and poses. Yes, these are important. You're supposed to conquer your body before you can conquer your mind. Yeah, and the the whole purpose of conquering your body is to get you in that space where you can actually exactly. You know, so the yoga poses are to basically conquer your body, so then you can go to your breath, then you can go to your mind, and it's just like a stepping stone. Yeah, but yeah. yoga is also the way you talk, the what you eat, what you say, the way you think. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. even the yeah. thought process is yoga. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it could be anything. And I think these books have just made me realize more and more that yoga is not a step. Because each ideology could be different, right? So many books have so many different ideologies. So I don't, pre, I don't I, I've never had one guru that I'll be like, okay, I'm joining my hands in front of you and you're everything. Mm. I would rather take every the best of everybody and compile it, right? For yeah. my learning. But so I think that is the space that is. we're in now. I think that is the learning space that we're in, that it's not necessarily finding that one person. And I think you exactly. add to this, your teaching as well adds to this, because yeah. it's actually more people now are coming forward and teaching from their own personal life experience. And this is how I've navigated these different things. And then you can relate to them, um, you know, different aspects of that from different people um, that fit exactly. in with, with your life and learn from, from that way rather than, just blindly following one person. Exactly. You know, so I think that's interesting. And uh, so these were the gurus that I was reading about and these are really famous. I think every yoga teacher reads them before they actually, you know, think about going into philosophy. With binge eating, again, it was uh, first people, first I thought it was emotional eating, Mm -hmm. which people do, so I thought it was occasional. Uh, Then I started reading these blogs. I would type, why am I feeling so hungry? You know, these were the Google searches I would do. Why am I hungry all the time? And then I started reading people who would talk about emotional eating. Then from there, I heard someone say the word binge. So through college, I don't think anyone actually told me it was an actual disorder ever. Yeah. I go and tell, um, I've been for therapy and I think therapy is something that everyone should do. Even, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just someone to talk to who you feel won't judge you, Mm -hmm. you know. 
and in therapy also when i would tell them they would be like okay so you're uh, you're eating your feelings and listening stuff from them also that your inner child maybe needs that and you know so just i think for me it's been connecting the dots yeah for me yeah. it's been all learn with what you're going through with every emotion with every fall with the number i must have had 10000 binges by now from the age of like from school to now so learning with every binge as to oh today i was happy why did i binge yeah. oh i've not slept properly i've slept like 3 hours i party last night mm-hmm. and now i'm feeling happy but i'm i'm hungry my body is craving for food yeah so yeah. i think it was just trial and error reading many books understanding my own body understanding it's not human capacity to eat this much it is not what your body requires understanding there's a balance between food and food to eat and food for your head yeah you know yeah, yeah absolutely so understanding that that line of how much should i eat for my belly and how much am i eating for my emotions thought mind or any other feeling or any other uncomfortable feeling that line is still very it's a very small line that you can't see it half the time but you have to navigate through it and also sometimes you have to like not control that much i think over control also sometimes leads to the same thing i've heard of people yeah. who over over diet and also lead up to binge eating disorders yeah you yeah. know so i think it's how you um, binge eating disorders is basically how your childhood is molded how your mental thought process is molded how secure you feel about yourself so it's also how you bring up like notice you know when our parents were growing up they didn't know all this these all things were like not even not even in their thoughts yeah. like eating disorders what is that but now that we are so much aware of it i think it's so important to tell people that this is not weird what you're feeling yeah it yeah. is not abnormal that you're feeling like eating i remember there would be parties and dinners that have left where there is food to go home and eat <laughs> wow. i have left a dinner yeah because i couldn't eat in front of people because they were already saying oh you're looking big you're look put on weight and because of those comments i've already felt hungry and we like i want to feel comfortable i want to eat and i would go home and pig out but i wouldn't be able to do it in front of people yeah you know yeah so i think it's just trying to be more open minded now about this because i wouldn't want anyone to go through so much trial error and so much of trying to understand why what is happening why are they feeling this why is are they feeling upset about eating which is something so normal yeah, you know? yeah. and the more upset you feel about eating the more you eat it's a vicious circle yeah it just goes round and round understanding and developing that healthy relationship with food and um what would you say to someone who's listening today who's never heard of binge eating disorder but they're kind of like wow she's describing some of the things that i'm feeling and some of the things that i do what would you recommend that their first port of call would be so for the people who don't know whether they have a dis- eating disorder called binge eating disorder or bulimia nervosa mm-hmm. see how you feel after you're eating mm-hmm. are you feeling upset not right after also maybe if you've had a long day of eating see how you're feeling are you feeling upset about it or are you feeling wow i've had a great meal mm-hmm. or are you feeling shit i need to go to the gym mm-hmm. and work this out like for 4 hours not like oh i'll work out tomorrow it'll be fine you're not chill about it yeah you'll be yeah. anxious about it shit i have to plan a time i have to do this i have to get it out of my system now mm-hmm. that's the way of recognizing it also recognizing are you eating at your lunch breakfast dinner or snack or are you just waking up hungry or eating at any time doesn't matter you know your snack is actually your dinner 
Yeah. So understanding that. Also knowing that these feelings that you're feeling are actually real. It is not made up in your head. It is not fake. It is not just because you are an overactive healthy person. Mm-hmm. It is because your mind is tricking you. And yes, sometimes your mind does that to the healthiest people. You don't have to be sick to feel like this, right? Mm-hmm. Your mind can play tricks on you because your mind is confused. It's not that your mind is sick or something. Your mind is confused. Your mind is thinking you need to go into survival mode because something is wrong. Yeah. Now your mind cannot tell you whether it's emotionally wrong, physically wrong, you know, or just the outer or internal. Your mind cannot tell you that unless you have the knowledge behind it. Mm. So now is when I recognize whether it's emotional, internal, physical, sleep. But initially your mind will just go into survival mode. I need to feel comfort and I need to feel nice. Mm. That's what your mind and that's why your favorite food will become your binge food because that gives you happy. It makes you happy. Comfort food. Yeah. You know? That's why people sit with tubs of ice creams when they're sad. <laughs> because it's emotional food. So understanding your triggers and knowing that it's okay sometimes to say it's okay. Today mm-hmm. I binged. It's yeah. fine. Tomorrow doesn't have to be the same way. Just because I binged today there are people who be like oh I binged on a Monday. This whole week is gone. Mm-hmm. You know? It's okay. Or if you have it binged like sometimes what happens to me I binged for breakfast and I'm like oh shit my whole day is gone now today I will binge only. It's not really my mind telling me but I'm like okay today I surrender. It doesn't have to be a day. It can just be a meal. And knowing that you can reach out for help because now people are understanding. Yeah. People are more open and even if they are not open, you don't owe people an explanation as long as you're understanding. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of times we are fighting with our own process that this cannot be it. I am not this person. I have to be perfect. perfection yeah. running behind perfectionism is what causes major of our mental physical illnesses yeah it's okay to be a work in progress it's okay to be not in progress also it's okay to be just where you are for some time yeah. and not going forward or backward just be there you know i think a lot of time we're just struggling with that and i know throughout this lockdown i've been like i need to lose weight i need to lose weight because my activity got cut down in half by mm-hmm. sitting at home usually i'm running from place to place teaching yeah physically yeah. working out and here my gym shut everything so my activity level was this and i put on weight and i was like shit what will people think i have to move ahead i have to move ahead and i think that happened in the start of log middle of lockdown and now i'm just like it's okay i'll just say it's fine i'm still practicing i still have my skills i've put on a few pounds here and there which is fine which will go so coming to the realization that it's okay to be where you are and at all times you don't have to be progressing to some or the other direction yeah yeah you know just give your body some time to be where it is you don't have to constantly try to lose weight because that triggers eating disorders the most any kind of eating disorder yeah we are trying to lose weight constantly i would give a suggestion try to be the same weight don't try to lose weight for some time just try to maintain your weight mm-hmm. even if you're obese even if you feel you are obese and you're not even if you feel any of these feelings try to just maintain your weight for some time don't try to lose don't try to gain have your three meals have anything you require but have in moderation your three meals yeah. i think that's what's helped me the most usually whenever i come back out of a binge i'm trying to lose weight lose weight lose weight now i'm like i'll have my three meals and i'll see what happens yeah i'll yeah. see something will come off because i'm not binging it'll come off <laughs> but it takes some time for my body to get the nourishment yeah so get the nourishment first then think about the weight loss brain nourishment and body nourishment 
Amazing. Amazing advice. And um, so tell us a little bit about your classes. What kind of yoga and what can people expect from you, from your classes and also your personal private practice, one-on-one -on -one practice? So uh, I cater to what the student needs, right? Mm -hmm. Because I can't force my practice and my ideologies on everybody. Mm -hmm. We are living mm -hmm. in a city where sometimes they want to lose weight. So I do trick them into breathing. <laughs> I do trick them into certain things while they're practicing. Like I'll make them hold a pose and say, okay, now do belly breathing. Yeah. You know, I'll try to include their breathing during their practice because some people cannot sit still. Mm -hmm. After a few months of practice, they'll realize, oh shit, I'm actually sitting still now. Because I try to push in the breathing exercises between their practice where they're burning, they feel, because everyone's after the burn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They want to so feel we, like they've done something. Use that Exactly. Out. Yeah. So I try to make them feel that they've done something which they are doing. But at the same time, involves certain things. And I'm my major forte is backbends. Mm -hmm. Because, because mm -hmm. I feel backbends help you feel so happy. Yeah. Initially, yeah. if you're tight, it is very painful. <laughs> but eventually, backbends work in your heart chakra. Yeah. And yeah. it opens your heart out and it makes you feel very light. Like I keep telling people after a backbend class, you'll either cry or feel really happy. Yeah. You're crying, it's something stored inside. If you're feeling really happy, that means you felt light, you felt nice. I've had students cry uh, after a backbend class. That's because that's what they're in. Now for a group class, again, it's a sweat. It's a sweat sesh, but I always, again, put breathing towards the end. Give a good shavasana. That's your corpse pose where you're lying down, focusing on your body and doing nothing while focusing on your body. Yeah. You know? Um, I also do... I'm not only into yoga. Yoga is my main, it's my, you know, my medicine for life. Yeah. But I love working out in general. I love weights. I love everything. So I also make people, if they are progressed enough and if they need like a particular body goal because many of them are in the industry, many of them are uh, models, bloggers. Yeah. So yeah. they need an extra burn. So I also make them do yoga with sliders, socks or uh, ankle weights. You know, but not all the time. Uh, this is just one-off classes here and there that makes them feel a little different. Also, if you're not a yoga person, you will never get used to the idea of doing... Yoga is a set of asanas, right? They're not, there are many asanas. But ultimately, that's, that's the bracket. Mm. So if you're not a yoga person or a person into yoga like properly because you want to, you get kind of bored. Mm. You're like, okay, but I did warrior one, two and three yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, so I just try to mix it up for them. I try to keep it a little more lively by adding socks to the mix where they have to engage their core even more. Yeah. Or I do a lot of kettlebell. Mm -hmm. So I add a really small kettlebell into the yoga asana. Okay, wow. So okay, adding wow. movement with kettlebell. So not something that will really feel like a gym session, but will still add your breath to your movement. Yeah. So yeah. I try to do a mixture of that. Amazing. So, so modernizing our yoga. Sounds so cannot yoga. yoga it. And where can people find you just before we finish? Where can people find you um, uh, and get in touch so with you? So I'm on Instagram. I do reply to students and not students with queries or general yoga queries. I do check my inbox and reply to people because I think that's one way you can reach yoga to everybody, though you can't teach them. Um, I take personal classes as of right now. I don't take any group because of COVID. Uh, I teach online on Zoom, uh, mm -hmm. only private as of now. But from January onwards, I'm going to be starting a group class uh, for everybody. 
affordable and nice and uh, get everyone sweating and breathing at the same time. Nice. Uh, so yeah, on Instagram, my Instagram handle is Samiksha Shetty One. So contact me. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. And you also teach at the Movement Sanctuary, is that correct? I do teach at the Movement Sanctuary. I did. That's my favorite, favorite space of all yeah, time. I think yes. most of my pictures on Instagram are from there. Uh, it's this beautiful space at Pali Naka, but right now that space is only open for one-on-one students. Like if you book the place and you have a student, you can go there. The group classes have temporarily been stopped mm-hmm. because of COVID and to just be sure because you're breathing heavily in yoga, right? Yeah. So yeah. you don't want that happening at least right now. <laughs> no heavy breathing. Vicinity yeah. of other people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Movement well, Sanctuary is one of I hope my you, sanctuaries in Bombay. I hope you guys can all open again soon and be, be you know, be back to normal I and know. back to normal programming soon. But um, so, Miksha, thank you so much. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you've got on your heart that you'd really like to share? I think we've covered it all. I've spoken so much. <laughs> we have. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, coming on and thank you for being so open and so um, free to share about everything that you've gone through and ways that you've moved out of it as well. So thank you so thank much. You. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests' insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.